Thanks for listening to Two Girls, One Plant. We're your hosts, Madison. And Jillian. And we just wanted to give you a warm welcome this week. Hi, welcome. So we are talking about something a little bit more heavy this week. And so we didn't want to have it super <laughs> sing-songy type <laughs> jingly intro. But this week we're talking about internalized misogyny and all the different multi-layers of it. So yeah. it's a big topic. It's kind of somber. So, you know, we're really goofy girls. So we'll probably <laughs> yeah. have some laughs here and there. But yeah. we did want to just kind of have a more serious intro and give you guys a little warning up front or kind of throw out a trigger content warning. Yeah. Because we are going to get into some serious topics and we felt like it was really important to do so. Uh-huh. But. We also want to make sure that y'all are safe while you're listening. Yeah, definitely. So if you are, if anything is really triggering in regards to abuse, assault, rape, this is now a good time to just, you know, we'll see you next week and we'll talk more plants. And we're definitely going to talk a little bit about, not necessarily about plants, but about the plant community Mm -hmm. and how misogyny plays a role in the plant community. So we're definitely going to be talking about that. But really, I came to Jillian when we were planning season four I came to her and was like, hey, I really want to do an episode talking about internalized misogyny because I was really, I knew about my internal biases, but I did not know the language for it. So I've been really learning and challenging myself to recognize those internal biases. And I've just been learning so much in the last year. And it's something that I really feel like I want to share and Mm -hmm. be really vulnerable about. Where I was 10 years ago is not what I know what I believed in and a lot of these things we're going to talk about today like there's still little bits and pieces of that and that's just me being really vulnerable and letting you know like I'm still working on it but you know it's we're both always doing the work like I think that's a big part of our podcast is we're pretty honest that we're always learning and for sure always trying to get better and yeah and like that's a part of our show too you know whenever somebody asks hey what's your podcast about it's about houseplants it's about women empowerment and planty social issues like those are the big three things and we really focus a lot on houseplants and plant social issues but I think having an episode that really is about feminism women empowerment calling out misogyny I think is I think it's important to have that conversation and have that open dialogue with you as a listener and let us know where we're kind of like coming from too and our beliefs and what we've learned along the way and what really we just want to share yeah yeah and as somber as it is it's also a celebration and appreciation for everybody that's come before us everything that we've been through everything that women listening have been through so Mm -hmm. It's not all somber. It really is no, yeah. a culmination of just different experiences that people have gone through. Definitely. So before we like we really get into the whole entire episode, let's do just a little quick catch up. First of all, the new space looks so awesome in here. I love it. <laughs> it looks so good. Uh, it's not done yet, but it no. looks so good. So I know you've been working really hard. Yeah. So my last week was really weird because we had that huge snowstorm. Oh God, and as most people listening know, I work at a plant store. So <laughs> there, was, yeah, there was no reason to really be open and yeah. selling plants. So I redid this whole room in addition to other spaces in my house. 
and <laughs> it was honestly really great. I ordered some pieces online. If you're a patron, you've been added as a close friend on Instagram, so you were able to kind of see some extra bits in our stories. So yeah. you know some of the pieces that are coming in and kind of the plans that we have for this space. So it's not done yet, but it's really getting there, which is exciting. Yeah, it looks really good. This has been my week. So this yeah. is really it. I repotted some plants, like that big calancho back there. It looks so good. And there are a bunch of scandapsis that have new pots and things like that. Yeah. But that's kind of it, honestly. I've just been home for the past week <laughs> cleaning out my house. Yeah. Did you... you did not go to work on Tuesday then? No, Tuesday? I always have Tuesday off. Okay, so okay, so yeah, you haven't been to work since like Friday pretty much. Yeah. Damn, Gina. I know, okay. I know. Dang. It's been weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, same thing. I took Sunday and Monday off and I had issues on Monday getting to work. Don't really want to get into it, but yeah, I was hoping they would excuse us because like they had yeah. over 50 call outs. They're not excusing anything damn so fuck you to everybody that i work with and it was like officially a blizzard for everybody listening. oh yeah oh no it so. was like it was a fucking blizzard <laughs> it was so bad how like oh my god mm -hmm. i haven't seen it like that in a really long time so yeah we've just been kind of dealing with the snow and then our episode with um marissa came yeah. out yesterday if you guys haven't listened to that yeah i just do got done a little listening. bit of joy I loved it. It was it's so cute. So good. And go listen to her podcast, The Mouse Club. Ooh, I can't talk. Mouse Club podcast. It's great. So good. It's honestly where I get all my Disney news. She like breaks it down at the beginning of every episode. <laughs> and that's how I keep up with what's yeah. going on. Yeah. So good. But yeah, that's kind of been I yeah. feel like our week. Just no new to... plants or anything, right? It's been snowy. Yeah, no new plants. I did I did a lot of repotting though too. Nice. And like Jilly and I, we've kind of like almost like kind of reorganized our lives a little bit, I feel like, in our home. Just like having all that time with the blizzard because we're not going anywhere. Nope. So like, I don't know. I We both like just kind of organized all our plant shit and like our yeah. pottery. Feels good <laughs> cleaning dirt out of all those nicks and panties. Because we're getting ready for spring. So when this, by the time this comes out, um, we're recording this on St. Patrick's Day. By the time this comes out, it will have already been spring. Yeah. So. Yay. Fuck yeah. We did it. So we got ready. through winter. You guys. We did it. It, Joe. We did it. It might still snow, but we're oh just going to celebrate the spring anyway. It was snowing this morning. Yeah, it was. I was it like, snowed here too. no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it always snows, though, too, like on the first day of spring. Like from what I can remember, I feel like it has in the past few years. It snows as late as Mother's Day. I know. It's crazy. Hi, Colorado. How are you? It's crazy. My Florida ass is like, are you serious? Like, <laughs> it's so true. But yeah, so yeah, that's our week. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to, we're just going to pop into this. I don't know how to transition. There's not a good how do we transition. segue? How do we segue into this? Um, we're professionals. Oh, we are we professionals. I know. I feel in the past we have pretty fire segues, but it's a little hard to go be like, here's our week. Feminism? Misogyny? Waves of snow. <laughs> waves of snow to waves of feminism. Oh, my God. Hey. This is this might be what it's like, you guys. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, let's, you know, let, okay, so let's break this down. So the way we want to really talk about it is give a history of feminism, what feminism is, 
who it's for, who it's always been pandered towards, who it is not for. So we're really going to talk about the history of feminism. And then we're going to talk about um, some external and internal factors of misogyny. So that could be stereotypes and gender roles, log. What's an log? We're going to talk about that. Things that are regarding the plant community um, and internalized misogyny there. You know, we're going to definitely talk about, you know, slut shaming and victim blaming. And we're going to really get into that, too. And then we're going to talk about different tropes um, and tropes in a feminine space, too. So we're really kind of touching on all these little different topics. But it is part of like a really big picture, whether it's systemic um, or interpersonal. So, but yeah, let's let's kind of hop into this. So do you want to... Do you want to talk about the first wave? Yes, absolutely. And I have to give Madison a lot of credit because as you guys know, she does book reports for every episode. And this one (laughs) is particularly thorough. Mm -hmm. Um, Even I learned a lot. Well, and two, like I did not want to leave anybody out. No, No, we had to include everybody. And that's that's one of the reasons we want to break down the waves of feminism is because it it really is intersectional and it's gone through a lot of evolutions so yeah the first wave covers 1848 to about 1920 and there are a couple of big things that mark this first wave of course including like susan b anthony and the seneca falls convention Mm -hmm. where many people spoke and that includes like frederick Douglass among a lot of white women and suffragettes it was held in upstate new york And the focus for the first wave was very much civil and political. They were looking for the rights of women, specifically like the right to vote Mm -hmm. and legal and political rights, essentially. So we do have to mention that, you know, despite the work of many women of color in the movement and at the convention that really marks this first wave, like Sojourner Truth, Maria Stewart, Frances E.W. Harper... This movement was very much not focused on women of color. And unfortunately, through the course of the first wave, women like Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony not only focus on white women, but really pit themselves against black people to help further their cause. So, for example, the 15th Amendment allowed black men the right to vote. This was in 1870. And that basically charged a lot of white women to become suffragettes and say you know how could you let these people vote in obviously a very derogatory racist way and not allow us to vote we're white (laughs) so not the best Mm -hmm. but definitely the start of feminism yeah good and bad yeah and this led to you know as we know the 19th amendment Mm -hmm. um i know there's been a there's been a lot of great documentaries there's been you know depictions and movies talking about the 19th amendment what's that there's a movie with meryl streep who plays a suffragette i forget what it's called but you know suffragettes were in america and they were in england too in great britain yeah so it was a about the same time as well during this time period of the first wave of feminism. But like you said, women of color and black women and especially people who were former slaves did not really, they weren't speaking for them. So while like, yes, did women get the right to vote? Sure. But also like at the same time, like it wasn't, (laughs) 
it wasn't like for everyone. It wasn't for all women. It was for white, rich, straight, cisgender women. Yeah. And I have to say to bring in like some personal experience growing up, the suffragettes were really, really idealized. Like I remember yeah. writing a book report on them when I was in yeah. middle school and absolutely loving the story of Susan B. Anthony mm-hmm. and didn't really understand the race factor until I was much older yeah. and out of college, honestly, which is really shameful. So there isn't a lot of talk on how <laughs> on how non-intersectional, on how one-sided that wave of yeah. feminism was. Yeah. So 1920, when women gained the right to vote, does kind of bookmark the end of that wave yeah and that kind of like during the turn of the century too from like the 1920s all the way to the 50s you really saw women go and start working during you know the world wars they were out of the home and they because the men were gone the men were at war so the women stepped into these roles um, and then when the war ended they came back and we really saw this huge boom of women being the housewife living in suburban America, the white picket fence, you know, the Ford car, like all of that was during the 50s, which then led to the second wave of feminism, which started in 1963. It really started, and I haven't read this book, but it's by uh, Betty Friedan. It's The Feminine Mystique. She has written a few books, um, but that came out in 1963. And it talks about this quote unquote problem that has no name. And this is really talking about systemic sexism that taught women that their place was in the home. And if they were unhappy housewives, it was only because they were broken and perverse. She says that I thought there was something wrong with me because I didn't have an orgasm waxing the kitchen floor. (laughs) So again, like women during the time of, especially during the fifties, like they're supposed to be these perfect proper women, but they were also supposed to be these wild sexual creatures for their husbands as well. And that's kind of what she's panning towards and really calling out. It sold 3 million copies in three years. It was not just about political equality, though, um, which is what the first wave really focused on. But it was also about social equality as well. During that time, they really focused a lot about sex. It was about access to abortions and domestic labor. So again, the first wave accomplished, you know, a right to vote for women, whereas this wave, they accomplished the Equal Pay Act of 1963. There is still a fucking gender pay gap, though, so I will fucking call that shit out. But that still is there. It did help, but not for fucking everyone. Sorry, I'm like, I did a, I did a report on it and college about the pay gap and like I had to be mansplained to by all these guys in my (laughs) class and saying it was bullshit oh my god I still get like triggered like so not remembering that and Um, you should break it down and look at like Latin women and black women it just gets worse and worse but yep oh yeah oh yeah and then a series of landmark supreme court cases through the 60s and 70s gave married and unmarried women the right to use birth control so like I can't imagine being an unwed person like I am now and not having any access to birth control. So they gained that access. And then a title nine gave women the right to educational equality. And in 
we all know the 1973 Roe v. Wade uh, guaranteed women to reproductive freedom. The second wave also allowed women to hold credit cards under their own names and apply for mortgages. It worked to outlaw marital rape to raise awareness about domestic violence and build shelters for women fleeing rape and domestic violence. It worked to name and legislate against uh, sexual harassment in the workplace, which um, especially Mad Men. Mad Men really depicts that really well if you want to have like a culture piece to kind of pin it on yeah so it really calls out sexual harassment in the workplace so back to the feminine mystique (laughs) it really is talking about white middle class women white cisgender women it's not really during that time especially during the 60s and 70s a lot of feminists during that time were really anti-civil rights. They were very anti-gay liberation. So in a sense, a lot of them were racist turfs. <laughs> so that's like the best way I can really explain it. So again, it was all for the white, cisgender, straight, middle-class woman, which is kind of stupid. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, these women wanted to work outside the home, but that wasn't really a huge concern for black women who had already been working outside of the home. And while black women and white women both advocated for reproductive freedom, black women wanted to fight not just for the right to contraception and abortions, but also stop the forced sterilization of people of color and people with disabilities, which was not a priority for the mainstream women's movement, which is like, it, there's there's a whole thing. Um, it's called misogynoir, and we've talked a little bit about it. We talked about it with Cola like a little bit. She yeah, had a she really, has a good episode on it. Really great episode on Black in the Garden, really talking about what mis- misogynoir is. But there's just this belief that, um, especially in a medical scene, that Black people don't have like uh, the same pain tolerance as white people do, and that their skin is to believe thicker. And so, therefore, when women are giving birth, they aren't they don't receive the same was the word I'm thinking of um like epidurals or like pain medication but which even is- beyond that there are groups of women specifically black women and latin women that were sterilized yeah. against their will as part of different movements and there are like a couple of cities specifically that dealt with this and mm-hmm. we might do like a story series at some point with some warnings or whatever but we'll give some more information but forced sterilizations are definitely a real part of history for a lot of women of color so yeah and it it makes sense that it wasn't a part of the mainstream fight because that's not something white women have ever experienced yeah and like too you know I I think about those women during second wave who were fighting for social equity and equality they were not experiencing sterilization like people of color were during that time and The fact that it wasn't happening to them, they could just shut it out and they didn't have to worry about it and really fight for those women who were experiencing that and those communities were experiencing that. So could they have done better? Absolutely. And I think we are very critical, especially in our generation, the millennial and Gen Z generation. I think we're very critical of those women and those women are still around today. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, some of them still have that belief of being turfs and racist and it's very it's still very prominent in our society 
because of that generation. Unfortunately, yeah. And like I admitted with the first wave, I'll admit with the second wave that when I was in college, I took a whole course on Sylvia Plath. Oh, nice. <laughs> and okay. was very interested in her. For people who don't know, she was like uh, a lot of her work and a lot of who she was fought against you know the housewife image and obviously right. she ended up suffering from depression mm-hmm. and i do own the feminine mystique oh you do <laughs> by betty frieden I oh do. okay have you have you read it i've read through bits and pieces of it but i bought it because it was like a must read for feminists yeah. um it's yeah. still used as like a feminist manifesto okay and from what i hear is still very relevant today when you do read it even though like madison said it's very much geared towards like middle class white women yeah and primarily like housewives and people that yeah are like pushed into a very specific box right we're gonna talk about this too in a little bit regarding like pick me girls and in logs Mm -hmm. but it sounds like her book really is being critical of women who are housewives and sometimes people just want to be housewives some people just want to be the girly girl some people just want to be a mother and there's nothing wrong with that and I think second wave was also just critical of any woman of who just wanted to be a housewife well yeah that was like going with the status quo when they were all like we have to fight against it or we're not making progress and I think there is a point where we should, and it's good that they did be out, be in the workforce, you know, be your own independent person. But, but we have to fight for that choice. There was a, yeah. I don't yeah. think it was like, if you do this, you're a bad person. If you're a housewife, you're a bad person. You're going against like what we're trying to fight for and fight for women's rights, which I think is a load of crap. <laughs> I think women we can choose what we like and if that's something that during that time they liked and wanted to be there's nothing wrong with that so mm-hmm. I just want to call that out too yeah but we'll talk more about in logs and pick me <sighs> in a little bit we're getting there <laughs> yeah. so the next wave the third wave started in about 1991 and there isn't really a clear end mark so this third wave really starts with the Anita Hill case which was in 1991, and the emergence of the Riot Go groups in the music scene in the early 90s. Anita Hill actually came back into the news in like the last year or so with the Me Too movement Mm. because her story really resonates with that movement, even though it happened in 1991. She essentially testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee against Supreme Court nominee Clarence Thomas saying that she, that he had sexually harassed her at work. Unfortunately, he still made it to the Supreme Court, Mm. which is not surprising, especially when we see things like Brett Kavanaugh in today's day and age, but still marked a really big shift. And there was a lot of conversation and dialogue surrounding this case. And women started to come out and talk about sexual harassment in a different way, which definitely led the way to Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too movement in a lot of ways. Yeah. After the Anita Hill case in 1992, they did dub it the Year of the Woman after 24 women won seats in the House of Representatives and three more women won seats in the Senate. Kind of just political show, seeing as Thomas still made it to the Supreme Court. Right. But it was a big turning point nonetheless, and it did spark a really big conversation. On the other side, you have the Riot Girls, who were like the grunge Doc Martin wearing mm-hmm. Pixie Manic Girls of Your Dreams. Yeah. I really want to read this quote from Bikini Kill because I was trying to read this earlier and I was like, oh my God. Because doing, reading, seeing, hearing cool things that validate and challenge us can help us gain the strength and sense of community that we need in order to figure out how bullshit like racism, 
able-bodyism, ageism, speciesism, classism, thinism, sexism, anti-Semitism, and heterosexism figures in our lives. And that was from Kathleen Hanna in the Riot Girl Manifesto in 1991. And like I mentioned, she was the lead singer in Bikini Kill. She said, because we're angry at a society that tells us that girls equal dumb, girl equals bad, girl equals weak. And it's great, honestly. There was like a big move for them to just break out of this mold and challenge a lot of stereotypes that they had seen, challenge their femininity. It was a little more intersectional than a lot of the other waves that we've seen thus far, for sure, right? Like I said, there is no like end time for this wave. And it's marked by two very different events from Anita Hill in politics to like riot girls in pop culture. So there is no clear goal for them. And there is no like clear, event or piece of legislation that like marks the end of it it just kind of had its own wave of conversation yeah, in the 90s it was more like a the political aspect with anita hill and then the more social just kind of having the conversational aspect from the riot girls yeah nothing came out of it though like again that was political in the sense like again like you mentioned getting the right to vote or being able to own a credit card. Did you know that you were able to own a credit card in 1985? Isn't that sad? What the fuck? That's recent. Like, my mom wouldn't have been able to own a credit card. Yeah, it's not fucking weird. Yeah, that's weird. It's weird. So, kind of peters off. And, <laughs> you know, it doesn't change anything historically, but it does mm-hmm. really open up a lot of conversation, yeah. which leads us to the fourth wave. Yeah, so fourth wave, it's still talked about, is this our fourth wave? Is it not? Like, um, is this what we're experiencing? I think think it is i believe that the fourth wave really really is talking about the hashtag me too movement and the times up movement and we saw all the women's march in washington um i think it was the day after the donald trump inauguration in 2016 i want to say it was like the first really big big one mm-hmm. and there's been a record number of women who have run for office who have been leadership roles which is amazing and we've seen so many women come out whether it's in hollywood or in media or pop culture about the me too mov- movement it's really been more so other women just our day-to-day women, you know, our amazing day-to-day women who have just really come out about their story and their abuse that they've experienced and really like putting a spotlight on abusers and saying, here's what's happening. Here's what I've experienced. Little old me who we all know and love, like I'm happy in my day-to-day life, but this still lingers over me. And I... I'm so appreciative to so many women who've come out about their story. Oh, I need a minute. I like knew I was going to cry this part. Sorry. Uh, sorry, it's I'm just tough. going to collect my thoughts. And a lot of stories have come out and they, they all resonate with so many people, which is terrifying. Yeah. And there's, you know, there are different people who are really driving the movement and have made a cultural impact. Our projects like from, I don't know how to say her name. It's Emma Sokolwicks, I believe, her mattress performance. I remember reading about it mm-hmm. in which a rape victim at Columbia University committed to carrying the mattress around campus 
campus until the university expelled their rapist and just having those consequences and and holding people accountable and here's like the thing that I really that really bothers me when regards to the me too movement and surrounding this is that it's like people like to overlap it with cancel culture and it's not cancel culture your favorite artist or your favorite actor or your favorite whoever they can and have committed awful things and violence towards women especially and it's not cancel culture I don't believe in cancel culture I was gonna say let's take a moment to break down cancel culture because you know what people have been boycotting things Mm -hmm. for years yeah the catholic church and christians all over the country have boycotted harry potter yeah for decades Mm -hmm. a lot of groups have stopped supporting different companies different stores for all kinds of reasons so to label it cancel culture now is basically to skirt responsibility because the people that are being held responsible now are white cis men in power and it's scary and it's easy to give that a name and try to dismiss it yeah so Cancel culture is just a kitschy name for something that people have been doing for a long time because we're a capitalist society and money speaks. So this is not a new form of protest. It's just focused on powerful people now. Right. No, it is. And I don't, I do not believe in cancel culture. I don't think nobody has ever canceled. (laughs) No. And you know what? They're still making money. Whoever you think you've canceled on whatever platform is still making money on that platform. They still have supporters. They still like, they do not go away look at Woody Allen have you watched the document okay I have not I believe it's on HBO and I don't have HBO it's really hard to watch so huge trigger warning if you have not watched it it does talk a lot about pedophilia and child abuse in very graphic details so if you're triggered or if that's really hard to watch or hear please do not watch it. But however, I will say this without being too triggering is that in it, you know, Woody Allen is this big, iconic, untouchable God in our eyes and our society, especially in Hollywood. And here's his child that he hurt, he abused in the most horrific, heinous way. And yet we still hold him to this oh my God, you're an amazing person because of your art. And first of all, fuck his art. <laughs> fuck his movies. If you've actually watched a Woody Allen movie, it has a lot of pedophile, pedophile arches and themes in his movies. So fuck that guy. But there's just, you know, it's so hard to take somebody like that down. So he's not canceled. You know, you can say, you know, especially after this documentary came out, like, oh, we're just canceling Woody Allen now. You know, all these people want to cancel Woody He's not being canceled. He, we want accountability. We want accountability for, he hurt a child. He hurt his daughter. He has hurt also other women too, who have come out as well. Um, He was also, you know, emotionally manipulative and abusive towards Mia Farrow. So that's just like a class A example of somebody who, has not been canceled and probably will never be canceled because of who he is and the status he has, unfortunately, in our culture. He may not have people who want to work with him anymore or his movies may not be shown in America anymore. It doesn't matter, though, because he's not going anywhere. He's not suffering for his sins where 
he's being arrested. There's no justice in our court system and our legal system. Unfortunately, in the documentary talks more about why there's not justice and why justice wasn't sought after at a certain point. But anyway, my point is that (laughs) cancel culture is not a real thing. (laughs) So let's stop calling it. Let's start calling it accountability culture because that is something that really needs to happen. Yeah, I love that accountability culture. It's very much what it's become. The best part of this wave is Uh, It includes all women. Mm -hmm. This wave of feminism has made a very deliberate effort to be intersectional and to recognize that different people are minorities in different way and that that can... What's the word I'm looking for? Like More inclusive. That can, yeah, but like those different minorities on top of each other can, it's not consolidate. Essentially like make each other, like each one is like a little bit worse. Like it adds another layer. Like hierarchy? Oh my God. I know what you're thinking. I can't think of the word. I know. I know you know what, what I'm thinking. trying to say, right? Yeah, I know like, what you're trying to say. Yeah. Each, each intersection has another layer of obstacles to go through and for some reason I don't have the words for what I'm looking for but that is oh okay so this wave of feminism works really hard to address all of those different disparities between different groups within feminism it includes everybody and I mean everybody so women of color black women and Asian women it includes trans women it includes sex workers it includes quirky girls and bimbos and girly girls and fat girls and skinny girls yep rich girls, girls poor girls all of us yeah you identify as a woman you count you're a part of it exactly and like you said each woman does have their own intersection where like there are whole different compounds compounds each intersection <laughs> each uh, intersectionality compounds the level of disparity yes. and yeah that's what I was trying to say I'm so sorry I got, I got you <laughs> so professional (laughs) so professional well okay so those are the waves of feminism so now Mm -hmm. that we have a little history lesson and understanding of that let's talk about stereotypes and gender roles and you know there's this stereotype with women that we need to be hyper feminine we need to have you know we need to be into the color pink and have you know be into hair and fashion and makeup and big boobs and <laughs> you know ready to turn it on at any moment for the man and but that's like a stereotype of a woman but they're also quiet they're Mm soft-spoken they're graceful they're kind they're great hostesses you know so those are the stereotypes and sometimes the gender role of a woman and these are really confining and they're really problematic and I understand that men do experience toxic gender roles too they do and those who are fall under trans and non-binary they also fall under gender roles too unfortunately and whether it's within the binary or not so what we're really speaking to in these stereotypes and these gender roles is regarding the cisgender straight woman I would want to say yeah I would say that this all comes down to white supremacy and patriarchy yes like all all shit things tend to yeah so within the patriarchy you have very heteronormative split gender roles yes so we're talking about like these patriarchal stereotypes right where women do like makeup and do like getting their hair done Mm -hmm. and like to look a certain way which is usually very white and European and you know have to fit a certain 
mold, be it really thin eyebrows in the 90s or having a yeah. really fat ass in the 20s. So yeah. um, it's weird to say 20s and 20 about today. I, it is. That sounded weird as soon as I said it. So it's... It's pretty harmful and it definitely, it comes down to patriarchy. Yeah, it does. Fuck the patriarchy. As a system. Yeah, it's pretty (laughs) shitty. And I would encourage everybody to break through heteronormative stereotypes as you see them. And that includes in daily conversation. That's one of the reasons I call Alex my partner. Yeah. You know, I think that's an easy way to kind of disrupt that heteronormative assumption. Yeah. I, that's how I refer to James as my partner. Mm -hmm. But also like, I don't like the term boyfriend. Well, boyfriend doesn't sound very serious and. Yeah. We're not married and not planning on getting married. Yeah, exactly. Soon, exactly. So I'm not going to say husband. Yeah. Roommate's not quite right. <laughs> <laughs> So partner works like we are partners in everything that yeah. we do. So that's a very accurate way to describe him. Yeah. And there's no reason to have to specify his gender. Why do you care the sex of the person I'm having sex with? Like it's none of your business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, exactly. So saying things like partner and there there are ways that we contribute to this heteronormativity. Mm-hmm. Just like there are ways that we contribute to racism as an institution all the time. Yeah. So, you know, you can always just keep an eye out for little things like that that you say that have more impact than you think for sure yeah and one of those things is definitely this it's called in logs and i've learned about this really more so in the last year yeah this is like a tiktok newer thing isn't it like yeah, a very yeah recent... it's very like internet culture all the kids are saying it <laughs> kind of yeah <laughs> so it stands for not like other girls and by definition means a girl who does not a girl who does one or more of the following and says she's different because of you know insert stereotype of girl so that could be makeup it could be hair things that we've talked about beforehand so we think about like when we were younger when a boy tells you like oh you're not like other girls and we're like oh this is good I'm not like other girls thank you this is great thank you good while you know the other girls means bad right so it's good that I'm not like that bad thing which is other girls and the other girls are girly girls as we mentioned before so it's reinforcing that negative stereotype of women especially girls and saying like we don't want you to like these things and then that has crossed over from men boys saying it but also girls saying it to each other as well so while it has definitely evolved like as we get older we see different forms of the n-log it's still pretty much the same but there are a lot of memes and we see this a lot in the plant community mm-hmm. <laughs> big time. So an example of a meme is there are two types of girls and one picture will have like a girl wearing like sneakers and then another picture of a girl wearing heels or then there's another meme where it's like get a girl who can do both and it's like both things or like you look like a hot ass mess and then like you're all done up so it's like not really funny (laughs) it's like and it's again it's all pandering to the patriarchy it's all pandering to the male gaze it's like me boys like it's it's very much pitting women against each other it is yeah which is so tired and so does tired. not need to be done anymore i would love to see more women supporting each other and that is like the crux of internalized misogyny 
is like trying to separate yourself from other women because you believe yeah. you're not like them. Yeah. But it's not that you believe you're not like them. You just believe you're not like the stereotype that's been created yeah. that we all have to fit into in some way. And yeah, there's no reason to pit women against each other when the onus should be on the patriarchy and on this cultural environment that we've set up. Right. And to bring it into the plant community, another really popular meme is to see like, you know, there are two types of girls and one girl like has her nails all done up yeah. looking fly as hell and the other girl has like dirt under her fingernails yeah and neither one of those is better than the other first of all second of all there are people like rachel at heart shape leaves fucking killing the plant game and her nails are on point so it's just kind of nonsensical and and really just pits pits women against each other yeah i feel like i've my earliest like depiction and recognition of like women being pitted against each other is Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. Mm-hmm. I remember being like 10 years old and everybody was like, these two major iconic women are just battling it out for, but what were they battling for? <laughs> like what what are what what are they fighting over in fact they're on the same team they go through so many of the same hardships from the Mickey Mouse Club to the media and pop culture and we see it today with like Nicki Minaj and Cardi B when Cardi B came on the scene it was really big to try and pit them against each other which is like the it's so immature you can love them both you can love them both even if let's say you're just like I'm not a Britney fan I'm a Christina fan like why do you need to pit them together like it it literally literally makes zero sense and it's just again reinforcing those negative stereotypes and gender roles big time and with the end logs too you you know you mentioned the plant community there's so much of it Mm -hmm. there's so much of us as women in the plant community being pitted against each other in so many forms memes like you said are a big one and it's just like why are why are we why are we doing this? Why can't we support each other? Why do we have to bring someone else down in a misogynistic view? And it makes literally no sense to me. And it, it hurts every time I see it on Facebook and on Instagram. Like I follow a few meme accounts and there was one posted today that I was like, ooh, that's misogynistic. Unfollow. Like I forget who I even forget who it was Um, (laughs) but it was like one of those plant meme accounts and I was like this is like borderline misogynistic so it's not funny anymore it's not funny anymore and it's funny that you say that like it hurts you every time that you see it because the truth is that the root of those memes and the root of this I'm not like other girls and pushing yourself away and pushing them away as others is insecurity totally and jealousy and the truth is most women feel insecure we live in a culture of insecurity and scarcity so it's hurtful for everybody involved it's usually comes from a place of pain and is really unfortunate like I really wish that we could kind of push that to the side yeah like work together agreed I know it's easier said than done but I don't know it it really is bred from isolation yeah it is so reaching out to other women and working together like making that effort to like support a woman who works with you who's in you know your same industry whatever it might be can make such a difference agreed and then big external factor we've already talked a little bit about the patriarchy and Mm -hmm. the male gaze the male approval when a man says to a woman you're an end log (laughs) you're not like other girls you're not like other (laughs) girls you're not like other girls like I just think about every chick flick ever Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ it's a very much backhanded compliment wow you don't like don't 
bitch and you don't nag like other girls and you put up with my crazy mom oh my god and you you'll watch the football game with me while you're so not like other girls this is perfect it's just reinforcing all that negativity i hate it and you know as women we want to be seen and we want to stand out obviously from other women to be seen by the male gaze but we are different enough from those negative stereotypes and that a man has to choose us right so or you want to be seen like other girly women and enforce that so it's like we we also can't win right like we want to be an in-log but we also don't want to be an in-log it's like what do I like either woman is bad right we we just can't win and it's so frustrating that we just can't find our own feminine identity and just be our fucking selves yeah so throw the whole fucking rule book away (laughs) support women however they want to be yeah whether you want to be a cute ass housewife in an a-line skirt and apron or you want to be fucking as butch as you can physically be because it feels so much more comfortable and long hair is such a fucking waste so yeah you do you you do fucking you seriously i love it i love it so let's talk about the pick me girl yeah actually the first time i heard this was in rachel's podcast oh really heart shape leaves after dark yeah she mentioned a pick me girl and i was like that's new i think i remember that episode it was like kind of recent yeah it wasn't that long ago no but this a pick me girl is a person who begs for attention acceptance and approval of a certain group in different things they say in most cases it's to attain the attention acceptance and approval of the opposite sex so more times than not it's a woman and a man seeking approval from a man she just doesn't do things to make she she doesn't just do things to make her man happy, but puts down other women and often puts herself on a pedestal. So, you know, look at me. I know how to play this instrument and I know how to speak this language. And, you know, I'm not into makeup and hair and fashion and like I'm actually cultured. And like, so you're like really putting yourself out there like pick me, pick me. That's what you're saying when you're saying all these things. And you can be an in-log without being a pick me, but not vice versa. So I feel so old. These terms sound so silly, dude. Like, I swear. <laughs> but a pick me girl is like an in-log, but like on fucking steroids where to the point a pick me girl is very dangerous and has a lot of issues with it and we'll get into a little bit but the backstory of where the pick me girl came from was actually on black twitter and it started with the hashtag tweet like a pick me so a little example we have here that came from black twitter was i wash my man's clothes give him money cook and serve him i'm a wife you bitches are just girlfriends so yes it's a parody. So uh, when these women are tweeting, it's a parody to the context that women in the pick me world talk down to women while catering to men or their man. Like, well, oh. yeah, it's very much. I'm not like these other girls. Mm-hmm. I'm way better. Like yeah. you should wife me and like, Ooh, let's talk yeah. about the wifey. Yeah. So Ooh. the whole, okay, wait, I do have to say though, you belong with me by Taylor oh. Swift oh, yeah. is like truly the perfect anthem to to that hole that yeah hole where disaster. it's like she wears short skirts i wear t-shirts she's cured cheer captain and i'm on the bleachers mm-hmm. yeah that is the theme song of the pick me's <laughs> To a T. Oh my God, <sighs> Taylor, what are you doing? And the term wifey really just kind of feeds right into that. Uh-huh. Um, it really reinforces those negative gender roles and is usually, honestly, usually self-prescribed, but usually <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> used to describe a woman who makes her man her number one priority. 
So she is not only his wife, but also usually plays like a motherly role, which (laughs) pits him as like the infant who needs somebody to care for him, which again, just really reinforces those negative stereotypes. It's also weird to, I don't know. It's very much a relationship where you're not set on equal planes. These are like the guys who can't do their own laundry and mm, can't do the dishes. I can't leave them alone for the day. Can't help clean. Yeah, like uh, I I can't have him watch the kids. You know, he never watches the kids. Not my father. Yeah, super. Yeah, super weird. And that usually is like the wifey. Like she's like the one that's willing to go above and beyond for her man. Yeah, and it's. Yeah, it's kind of just a really negative stereotype. Yeah. He uses it as a cute pet name. That's great. But the term in general is usually used to, yeah, to refer to that kind of over-the-top wife, mother, helicopter mom role. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Let's move on to slut-shaming within the pick So, <sighs> slut-shaming is a big fucking problem, mm-hmm. especially in internalized misogyny. I know this is something that I have had a hard time with throughout my whole life was slut shaming or owning being a slut or looking down on others for dressing inappropriately. And really it was because I was raised Mormon and in that culture and in that belief system is that you are to dress modestly. And if you don't dress modestly, you are a slut. You're asking for it. You don't have any respect for your body. So that's like where my issue came from in slut shaming. So when I would see other women, you know, maybe showing a lot of cleavage, I would assume she's a slut and she's asking for it. And that is just so fucked up that I'm so mad at myself that I believed that and I really thought that. But again, I'm trying to break down that wall and really learn that that's not the case for women and how they want to dress. So slut shaming is really anti-sex worker. It's, you know, anti-dancing. So like I put this because, you know, you see women like twerking and dancing on stage and they're called a slut. You know, we talk about Shakira and Jennifer Lopez's performance at the Super Bowl last year and people called it pornography just because the way they were dancing. I don't know. (laughs) Well, you also see a lot of women that have found success on platforms like Instagram posing and some of them are posing provocatively and people are like, oh, they're just sluts. That's why they're so popular. Or yeah. That's why they're making money or yeah. have found success. Yeah, exactly. Which really diminishes all of their other accomplishments and even artistry or creativity for what they're doing on that platform. Yeah. So yeah. it's pretty shitty. Really makes me think of like the slut walk and Amber Rose. Yeah. Slut shaming is, is pretty shitty. And I will say like I've heard adults in my life both say no matter what you're wearing, you're not asking for it and we need to teach our boys better. And then also saying, I wish I could think of one easy phrase, but honestly, it's like a lot of small things, you know, make sure you're safe in college and like, don't sleep around too much. Mm, Or, you know, you might want to save yourself because you want your husband to really be able to enjoy you young. And yeah, like this whole idea that if a woman has sex too much, her vagina gets looser and she's not going to be as good in bed. Or if she's too good in bed then she must be a slut and has had sex with a ton of people and how could she i don't know there's so many facets to it and i think we've all been exposed to it oh yeah oh for sure oh for sure well and through the eyes of the pick me and why this is where it is really dangerous and pick me girls can be very dangerous is they have this belief that women should thank men for unwanted attention no matter how they are dressed it doesn't matter Dressing is not in this equation, okay? So the pick-me-girl, again, believes that those women should be thanking the men 
for that unwanted attention. And if you don't think and you call out, we're not asking for it. You know, women, we're not asking for <laughs> any unwanted attention. So it spouts victim blaming and shaming and can be dangerous and it can lead to violence. And sometimes saying no isn't really an option for a lot of women. And when no is said, it's not often listened to. So it creates an environment where victims feel like they aren't safe and they can't come out and seek help and justice, leading to a lot of mental trauma and mental health issues. And because when you see your abuser not have any repercussions or they're just constantly on a pedestal in society, that is that creates a whole lot of issues and a whole lot of layers that I don't know if we really have time to go into today, but it's there. It's, it's definitely there. there. The Monica Lewinsky trial comes to mind, yeah. but really it's, and this is like a trope you can find anywhere, but it's like the nerdy girl or the fat girl mm. that gets hit on by like the popular guy. Yeah. And he takes it too far. Mm. And everybody's like, yeah. well, you should be grateful he gave you attention, basically. Yeah, that's so fucked up. And it's, yeah, it's so fucked up. It's so invalidating. Yeah. And it's unfortunately pervasive enough that a lot of women do feel like they should be grateful if somebody pays attention to yeah. them instead of holding up their boundaries, which is dangerous. Yeah. Can we stop this whole like, you don't need makeup or that's really pretty on you. It doesn't look good on other women. I've had people say that when I worked at Sephora, people would say that to me all the time. Huh. It was and it was men mm. like just walking through or like just kind of being there looking for stuff. It was so creepy. It made me super uncomfortable. Nope. And it still like lives with me and it has really like fucked with my head. I've gotten a lot better since that because like I was like oh should I be a pick me <laughs> kind of like mentality or should I be an in-log or something like that was I an in-log probably but I that really like freaked me out when I had those words spoke to me from men and I was like okay I need to change myself it's it's creepy and it really mm -hmm. it does isolate you from like other women around you it does which is yeah only makes things worse usually isolation is never yeah, the way to go for sure yeah and in talking about victim blaming and you know even on the skirt of like the me too movement and the ability to talk about sexual harassment and things that all women have experienced like carrying mace with you on your way home or putting your keys between your knuckles we wanted to mention sarah everard she has been missing since march 3rd and has sparked a worldwide movement basically trying to put the onus on men and people who make it dangerous for women to walk home which is unfortunately a reality and i think something most women have experienced most women have had moments of fear walking by themselves, plan to leave places before it gets dark, calls people, or mm -hmm. has it arranged to message people when they get to their car, get home. Mm. Those are all pretty standard things, things I've done, things I know you've done. You know, when I started going to college, I was a high schooler because I did dual enrollment for the last two years. And the first thing my mom did was bought me a pink pepper spray for yeah, my keys <laughs> because same. I had to walk around a college campus yeah. and when I went to UF for college and actually a lot most universities have this as a blue light system yeah mm -hmm. and yeah. that was like a big deal to make sure everybody knew that the blue light system was available mm -hmm. and essentially if you haven't been to one of these campuses they're just poles with blue lights and they're I don't know how many feet apart but you can push it and police will be there within 60 seconds or like security or whatever. And the idea is to try to make it safer for people to walk home after class. But it, it's dangerous. It's dangerous for women to walk around at night. And most of us, unfortunately, have fear that we have to deal with on a regular basis. 
It's probably only heightened for Latin women or women that look more Latin than I do. Black women, Asian women in general that have to deal with this. Trans women who are some of the most harassed. So it's definitely a, a pretty constant issue oh yeah in everybody's day-to-day oh, yeah yeah and it's like we want to just be able to go out and not worry about these things but I'm not going to tell you and not be realistic that you need to be safe yeah you you still do what our mothers told us about holding the keys in between your knuckles and having pepper mm-hmm. spray and being aware of your surroundings don't have both headphones in you mm-hmm. be aware, like yep. I'm not going to tell you to not do that anymore because unfortunately that's not the world we live in it's still very much apparent we see that you know with Sarah and there it did come out a few days ago that her remains were found they're not 100% sure if it's her but they do think that they did find her and that she was kidnapped and murdered so this is like when this came out because I've been like thinking about like my own safety a lot lately and I get really paranoid and there's a girl I work with I told Mm -hmm. you about who experienced assault week and a half ago in the middle of the day downtown Denver came out it was assaulted and which didn't even really make the news or anything that's no. how ordinary it is like I yep. didn't hear about it or anything Madison told me because she knows the woman yeah so you know and she has she's an amazing person and she's really taking it one day at a time but you know ever since that happened I've just been like more heightened in my own paranoia and then hearing about Sarah I was just like oh my god like it's just so it's just not gonna go away and it's I I just and I want it to go away but like it's just it's there and it's our reality unfortunately for a lot of women and I'm so sorry that it is I hate that it is I just even like going to you know I feel safe in like plant spaces and stuff and plant nurseries and plant shops just to kind of bring this back to plants but there have been times where I was at a nursery I won't say where it was but I felt like I was being followed by somebody and I left immediately I don't know if that was my own paranoia, but I really felt this presence walking around and like not just kind of watching me. (laughs) And it was, it really freaked me out. And like, you know, I haven't really been back there since because like it was kind of traumatic almost in a sense where I was like, because I was already like triggered by it. And I was like, I don't want to go back to that space and feel kind of like re-triggered again. But it just kind of sucks. But those spaces that we want to feel safe even can be desecrated and violated. Yeah, I had violated. a woman who shared a similar experience. She came to shop at our nursery, which is very small. So yeah. it's very difficult to be followed at our shop. But she came in and had mentioned that she had just come from a much larger nursery And I'll share the name off air with you, but she had just come from a larger nursery and this older man was kind of following her around the shop and gave her super weird vibes. And she had a daughter who was very young Mm. and she was like, we left pretty shortly after that. Like I just didn't trust it and I had to follow my gut and she was never going to go back or take her child there. And as safe as I feel like we've tried to make our shop for people we're still in a really busy part of downtown there was like somebody who got shot like a couple blocks away from mm. us you know so we try to close early when we can or yeah. we'll have two people do shifts on fridays and saturdays so nobody has to get out alone we'll right. like make sure each, the other person makes it to their car yeah i don't know just little things that you don't really think about but 
like most women do. I would say a lot of women do. Mm-hmm. I always have my plan. Yeah. What are you leaving? Can you walk me? Like yeah, exactly. now Jillian, Jillian, when I leave, mm-hmm. I have her watch me walk to my car. Yeah. Make it all the way in and close the door. Get in the car completely because I had an instance one day after we were done recording, somebody approached me while I, my head was in my car putting stuff away. Yeah. And, and my house is like a couple blocks from a major street. Yeah. And it really freaked me out because I felt super unsafe in that moment Mm -hmm. and not to say that this is an unsafe neighborhood because I don't think it is but still like it can happen anywhere literally and that's like kind of the freaky thing so now like when I walk to the car I'm like Jillian please watch me yeah totally and like we literally do every time it's like a whole thing to make sure that she makes it safe and like same thing when like we leave I'm like oh like text me when you make it home or whatever like especially if it's snowing or something like that I don't know it's like a thing and most women most women know that and go to the bathroom in packs and really keep an eye out for each other for sure it's a reality and we can't change it but we can at least talk about it and make sure everybody knows that it's a reality and it's not this like secret hidden thing that we don't talk about but pass on generationally to other women yeah we all need to know that we're actively doing this and need everybody to be on board with trying to make community safer yeah yeah for sure so all in all with n-logs and pick me's we are all like other girls Mm -hmm. we are other girls and girls and women we are multifaceted we have wonderful beautiful layers to us we have complex wonderful stories different interests hobbies likes dislikes education experience like everything Mm -hmm. like y'all I might be like a plant person but there's other shit I'm into I'm not just a plant person it's not my only interest it's not my only hobby and I know Jillian can say the same thing absolutely my identity is not a plant parent and that goes for everybody you know like Christopher plant queen I'm Mm. sure has bad days and isn't always smiling you know what I mean like everybody is way more multifaceted than I think we allow them to be right. Like we have to give people space to break out of that mold a little bit and yeah. to be themselves. I agree. Yeah. I don't I know. I agree. So it, we're, we're all like other girls mm-hmm. and it's okay to say there's really wonderful memes out there that express like, hi, I'm like other girls. I like makeup and hair. I like this and that. I am like other girls. Yeah. Yes. Or like comics looking at each other. We're mm-hmm. like one girl's really dressed up and perky and one girl's really nerdy and the perky girls or the nerdy girls like, oh my God, I love your makeup. You look so pretty those are fun and the pretty girls like oh my god I love your cosplay like you look great you know and it's like that's that's great why not who cares there just needs to be more hype I feel like in in our space especially women talking with other women like there just needs to be more hype for each other hype women up yes women are freaking awesome they're awesome yeah well we're gonna talk a little bit just to kind of finish off with different tropes and this is kind of interesting to me and what tropes are depicted in our media and our pop culture especially but you know someone's just to kind of name off is the weird girl the femme fatale the girly girl the bimbo the manic pixie dream girl you've mentioned Um, and all of these are different tropes portrayed in the media but ones that we really want to dive into um, there's three different ones so there is the spicy latina the strong black woman and the model minority myth so I feel like your 
very eloquent and articulate about these. And I would love for you to kind of talk about whichever one you want to talk about, whether it's all three, but. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go in order. So the spicy Latina, like the really passionate, over the top Latin woman is. Oh, such a popular trope and has been going on for a very, very, very long time. It really paints Latin women as exotic and hot-blooded and this leads to women being objectified and fetishized. Fetishized? Is that right? Fetishized. Fetishized? Fetishized. And her worth is reduced to her sex appeal. And I'm sure everybody can think of a Latin woman in media that has really big hips and swings them when she walks and speaks very sexy. Actually, you know who comes to mind is Sofia Vergara. Mm -hmm. She's very much like the spicy Latina in modern family where she doesn't speak great English, but she's always got like some kind of quip and is very opinionated and is very impulsive. And well, and two, when they speak English in it, you know, they're just speaking English and having just like, you know, a one-on-one conversation. But when they get angry, they switch over to Spanish. Yeah. And the all Spanish the time. It's over every the top. time. Yes. It's over the top. It's accentuated. It's yeah. every spicy Latina trope in every media does this. Yep. And unfortunately, that translates into the real world where there are real repercussions. So the hypersexualization of Latina women by the media directly influences how they see themselves and how other people see them, honestly. And this can lead to a lot of internalized ideas about revealing clothing and focusing on their appearance. It can also lead to a lot of anxiety and reduce academic performance in young women. It contributes negatively to issues with body image. So thanks to the media's emphasis on their figures, Latin women have become especially vulnerable to eating disorders and body dissatisfaction. I have to say as a Latin woman myself, like this was definitely pretty evident growing up. In fact, women within Latin America very much pit themselves against each other and against certain cultures. Like I know Puerto Rican women and Dominican women were put down a lot in Cuban culture, which is where my family's from. And it's really pervasive and really usually very body centric so Mm. you know I would get compliments on my ass a lot because I'm Cuban so I have a fat ass and I was very cognizant about the clothes that I would wear because if it has any low cut anything up top my boobs are like spilling out and I'm immediately perceived as a slut or like I'm asking for it and usually I'm not like I had a lot of people that would like try to throw stuff down my shirt all the time that was like a regular thing and I will say like Catholic Latin girls who would go to like Catholic high schools are sexualized in a league of their own it's kind of fucking wild it's pretty unfortunate and again it leads to like the exoticism of Latin women which yeah. very much is like this us and them. So you're really just othering them. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And it, and the trope is really just about the sexualization and the mm-hmm. body image. And there's, you know, there are some betrayals of women in media who it's really about them and their story. Oh, gosh. What is her name? What's the girl from Ugly Betty? It's her America. America Ferrara. She was in this movie called oh my god I can't think of what it is it's 
something women have big hips i need to find it now bend it like beckham yeah. <laughs> no what <laughs> no do you remember that movie i think yes. she was in that movie was she i don't know i'm just making shit up hold on real women have curves oh my god such a good have you seen that movie no i haven't oh my god it's really about latina women experiencing body dysmorphia and body image issues and because in the movie she's not the stereotypical size for Latin women and so it's it's such an amazing story and highly 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 recommend watching it highly recommend watching it okay and I will say just because I follow a lot of Latin pages that to any Latin women out there who do struggle from body dysmorphia I follow a page called Nalgona Positivity Pride and Una Nalgona is basically like Usually used to describe like a really chubby girl. Mm-hmm. Just nalgas are like your ass. Mm, okay. So nalgona is like somebody with like a big ass. Okay. But the page is basically all about eating disorders and specifically eating disorders within the Latin community because it is a very real issue. And yeah, really stinks. So definitely a pretty big trope and something we still see today. It's very pervasive. Another trope that is probably one we see all the time is Mm -hmm. the strong black woman so in these roles she's depicted she's unbreakable she's resilient she's almost superhuman and having these qualities means that she's so superhuman that it's almost subhuman where nothing can break her and she cannot experience depression or heartache or sadness like normal human emotions so it's almost dehumanizing Mm -hmm. no it is dehumanizing dehumanizing for sure so recently though many have started to take a look closer look at the psychological and emotional strain of trying to live up to this myth in real life the conception that black women are inherently strong has historically discouraged many from seeking mental health counseling Um, psychological studies suggest that while black women have one of the highest rates of depression they are undertreated for mental health as a demographic The conception of superhuman black female strength also poses a danger from outside the black community. A survey of American medical trainees found that half believe in certain myths such as black people having thicker skin or less sensitive nerve endings. We've talked about this a little earlier. And you said half, 50% of these medical trainees still believe these myths. a high amount, (laughs) a really high amount. So there's a lot of repercussions to this trope and can really it can really endanger people's lives and does it's it's very scary what this can definitely lead to it has led to in the past and is still currently leading to so while yes it's you know you think like oh and with a lot of these tropes too it's like oh it's good that you know we're looking them in a strong people or it's good that we're looking at you in a hyper sexualized way or it's good that we're looking at you as a smart person right it's a good thing you should be happy that we're looking at you in a positive light it's like no it's a stereotype still that you're just leaving that person one-dimensional. You're leaving that person one-dimensional. And again, it very much bleeds into real-world repercussions. Yes. So because we see Black women as superhuman and so strong, they receive subpar medical care. Yeah. They often don't receive the epidurals during childbirth. They often receive less pain meds than white people experiencing the same yeah. discomfort. And... They're, I mean, 50% of medical trainees believe a myth that their skin's tougher and it's harder to get a needle in, so they have to push harder, which is just a more painful shot. 
there are so many ways that this actively affects black people, black women, especially in hospitals and medical treatments. And then you also see it socially when black women lose the ability to get upset Mm. as soon as they show anger or really show emotion in any way. They're dismissed as the angry black woman. Yes. Yeah. And that is that's so demoralizing. Like you're not allowed to have an opinion or to ever be passionate about something. Yeah. You know, it's just like Latin women being dismissed as crazy, Mm. which we've seen firsthand. We've seen a nursery dismiss a Latin customer as crazy. It's it's pretty common. And black women very much experience the same thing. And so when we're having racial discussions and black women are trying to explain and really provide their own emotional labor and knowledge to a white person to try and explain something, they're often dismissed and then criticized if they get upset. Yeah. Well, we saw it too with the interview with Meghan Markle with Oprah. She wasn't ever angry. She was more, it was more just like, this is her truth. Mm -hmm. And I think in Meghan's mind, she did not want to be angry, mm-hmm. but she also did not want to be the strong black woman, right? Because those are both tropes that can easily write off her truth and her experience yeah. and her story. So I think I just I I could sense this like energy from her just being so cognizant of not wanting to be either trope. Yep. But also at the same time, if she was just feeling strong and just that truth, then that's her just feeling strong and being in that truth but if she came across as angry hell i would be angry too i would be so angry. i would be angry and i would want to convey that to you know talking to oprah and like sharing my story i would be just like this is what they did Mm -hmm. fuck them like i i would not blame her anyone for wanting to be angry in those really traumatizing experiences but i feel like she couldn't because she would be so discredited yeah probably and i do want to give a little disclaimer because i've seen a lot of discussion about this that like colorism is very much a thing and megan markle obviously has incredibly light skin and i think we can both acknowledge that and the privilege that she has that comes with that Mm -hmm. while also acknowledging that for however light her skin is in a room full of white people she's still the blackest person in the room and is still very much getting racialized in her treatment i just want to kind of acknowledge both facets of that i think we can sit in ambiguity there and kind of recognize both her privilege and her obstacles and i i think you're right she definitely didn't want to come across as angry she wanted to remain poised because otherwise she would have been dismissed yeah nobody would have cared what she had to say yeah they would have said she's crazy and that would have been the end of it it's much more powerful for her to have been stoic and that's sad that comes from from this patriarchal assumption on how women have to be and these racist assumptions on how black people have to be for sure so obviously a lot of real world impact on this strong black woman trope and the last one is the model minority myth and then we'll kind of tailor that more specifically towards asian women but it's essentially this myth that pits minorities against each other so essentially asian minorities are viewed as and this is aapi so like asian asian and pacific islander minorities are viewed as very much rule followers dedicated to their families and not disappointing their families pushing them ahead they're dedicated to wealth and success to at the very least the appearance of success they are the model minority they're what you want all minorities to be so they'll pit asian immigrants against immigrants from another country that might be considered third world if you're using that language 
and kind of pit them against each other, even though they're really both minorities and struggling with a lot of the same things. Yeah. It puts Asians into like this very, very narrow box of like the self-made immigrant who values hard work over everything else, who pursues STEM careers. So they have to be a doctor or they have to be an engineer. They're seen as polite and submissive and they still experience racism. They're not necessarily accepted by white culture. They're really just exemplified by white culture to weaponize against other communities. Yeah. (sighs) Which is pretty shitty. And moving beyond or from this foundation of the model minority myth, looking specifically at Asian women, you know, you take that submissive nature that we see in that myth and we see it be fetishized fetishized i don't know why this is stupid every time fetish I say it. eyes fetishized fetishized these asian women um who are supposed to be seen as docile and are supposed to please men and be submissive towards men in their relationships and i think this is something we've been seeing for decades i can remember seeing the play miss saigon when i was younger yeah which is a really popular play and very much plays into that myth really and i know as early as like vietnam it was a very popular trope for troops to bring asian women back yeah and they were all seen as like very submissive docile housewives Mm -hmm. who would put the husband first and because of tropes like this we have attacks like the one that we saw It's only a couple of nights ago when we're recording this, I believe. But the white terrorist who went through and killed eight Asian women at different massage parlors in Atlanta. And as it turns out, probably targeted those parlors because he'd visited them in the past. Yeah. And was obviously taking something out on those women. I Can I... I, so I read a report. I got a notification today on my phone about what happened like a few hours later. And it was like a statement released by the police and saying, I don't, we, we're just not sure right now if it's racially motivated. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? I'm of sorry. Cor- so you only went to Asian, Asian massage parlors. Is that right? <laughs> what the hell? Again, fucking a cab, but what, how can you say and spit in these grieving families' faces that it's not racially motivated. These people died. And right now, and in in the height of COVID, there has been so much hatred and hate crimes. It's up like 900% mm-hmm. of the Asian hate crimes that are being experienced in our country. It's insane. So many people are being hurt, are experiencing discrimination, who are experiencing assault, And it is racially motivated. Yeah. And a couple of points on that. Like the first is I know an adult who allows in her community people that make jokes about the Chinese flu. Mm. And it's a common joke. And she's told me, well, I don't make those jokes. And that's just one piece of this person. Like I've known this person for years. And it's like the allowance of jokes like that in your community is what leads to the dehumanization of people. And that dehumanization is what makes it easier for people to pull the trigger in those situations or easier to target certain people because they're not seen as humans anymore. You've allowed them to be dehumanized through your rhetoric and through your community that you love. And that's really harmful. So I know that it's one person who committed the crime, but I also know it's a society 
that created the environment for it. Mm. And my second point is massage parlors and happy endings have been the butt of jokes my entire life. Yeah. My entire life. It is such a trope to take young boys to massage parlors to experience something for the first time and to pay money for it. And these Asian women that work in massage parlors, these Asian women that are sex workers are usually the last ones to be protected legally or by feminists or white people, period. Mm. So I know there's a lot of outrage online, but I also know that a lot of the outrage is coming from people who are anti-sex work. Mm. And that's a dichot- that is mutually exclusive. That doesn't work. So mm. I think that's something that people should really evaluate because those women did deserve better, whether they were sex workers or not. Yeah. And yeah, that's something that people need to recognize, I think. Agreed. Yeah, I think I, I tried to stay off Twitter and everything because it's so toxic. This morning after the news came out of what happened and because that is a joke. Mm-hmm. It's a joke. It's like, yeah. oh, well, they were probably sex workers. So why are we upset about Who it? Who cares? Like what? So I, that's really triggering. Sorry, but it's, it's, I, I, I saw it on Twitter and I was like, I have to shut this off. And I really tried to like step away a little bit from it because I was like getting really triggered just seeing that. And yeah, it's really hard to read through a lot of hate. It's, it really affects you. It's a lot. And we're two white women who are affected. So I can only imagine the black women who have been fighting their entire lives, the Asian women who have been dismissed their entire lives, who are only now being heard. It's really a shame. Yeah. And like we said with other points in this episode, we're not going to change it overnight. Yeah. But changing the way that we talk about these things, like if you see somebody in your community making a joke about the fact that it was massage parlor workers, that's your opportunity to say something and change yeah. that discussion. Yes. There's a lot of power in that. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. It's it's time to no longer be performance allies. Like it's, it's really time for not to just be activists with this too like you really have to be up and changing and speaking out it's Mm -hmm. no longer just like I'm here for you I don't say those things I don't post those things you really have to call it out and it's so hard to educate people so it's like at this point if you want to educate great but especially as white people we really have to be the ones to call it out and give that emotional work because the emotional work that we experience is very different from those who are in these marginalized communities Mm -hmm. it is very very different so be that person to help and give that emotional work and that's why madison and i make episodes like these like Mm -hmm. we do our best to have the bandwidth to have these conversations with you all yeah i'm not gonna say I'm not like mentally exhausted from this episode and like I hope you guys when you're listening to this like you're not also mentally exhausted more so you are mentally open and Mm -hmm. wanting to be the change and see the change yeah and when you do because Madison and I do have to look for answers from black women from Asian women to write episodes like these and it's something I do on a regular basis I'm consistently trying to follow people to learn more and understand more and as white men, women, we're happy to share any information and knowledge we gather. Yeah. For those people of color, for those minority groups that you're trying to gain education and understanding from, make sure that you're contributing to them too. 
make sure that you're financially contributing to them and thanking them for providing that knowledge to you because it is a lot of work. PayPal them, Venmo them. Cash app them, Facebook pay, whatever it is, support whatever they're doing. Make an effort to show your support with more than just a like and Mm -hmm. help them continue to do what they're doing and continue to educate more people. It's the only way we're all going to get better. Madison and I can't just educate white people from a white perspective like we need people to give their stories yeah and and those who are yeah just we're just turning up the volume yeah we're just exactly we're just turning up the volume turning up the volume so other stories can be heard and there's so many stories Mm -hmm. out there and we are just so appreciative to those who are willing to share their story Mm -hmm. willing to share their story and so many again layers of intersectional feminism yep you know whether it is again about the strong black woman trope whether it's about if you have experienced abortion if you have gone through experience you know sexual violence so your stories are so important and there will be people who are going to turn that volume up for you and we want to be those people we want you know those listening to also be those people just turning up the knob for others and sharing those experiences because those experience those experiences are the real thing and it's not just some trope (laughs) like this is not some media thing these are real life people Mm -hmm. and real life experiences so we want to remember that for sure we're talking about people's mothers and daughters and cousins and friends real people that are not just exotic others (laughs) from some other place like that's kind of yeah it's crazy make sure that you are watching your language and Making sure that you're humanizing others and not dehumanizing them through the things that you say. For sure. Well, wonderful. Well, that was a heavy episode. Yeah. You know, we always end with a small business shout out. So we definitely want to end on a good note and a positive note. And my small business shout out is not really like a business per se, but more of a person. And if you guys don't know Blair Amani, please go follow her. I am obsessed with her. She has two books out. One of her more popular books is Her Story. So it's about like history, but it's her story. And you know, you can go find her on Instagram, but I really love her and I've really been following her more so because she does sit on the board with, oh gosh, it's Students Against Child Marriage. And she's a huge activist for being against child marriage because that is a huge loophole in this country with pedophilia. And she is just so... Oh God, I just, I love that she just speaks out about it and she's so educational about it and really is like, here are the facts and she does, oh gosh, these like videos on her Instagram where it's like cultural appropriation versus appreciation in 60 seconds and (laughs) it's just these little bite-sized videos, but they're so full of education and she's just awesome. She is, she's my dream guest. <laughs> so she would be really cool, <laughs> but the, we'll all add her to the list of I dream guests. Yeah. <laughs> so check her out. We'll get her on. Yeah. Check her out. She's <laughs> awesome. Read her book. Oh, now I want to go download it. Okay. My small business shout out is like a totally different vein, but I wanted to shout out Squid Liquor. <laughs> Obviously far <laughs> less serious, but they're in amazing artist their name is lauren and they basically do paintings from canvases to huge murals they're from denver even though they don't live here so you can still see like squid liquor murals around town nice but definitely 10 out of 10 if you want to know my art style go check them out it's really great and they obviously sell lots of prints 
and canvases and every once in a while apparel and that kind of fun stuff. So you can go support them on Instagram. We'll obviously be tagging both accounts so that you can check out both folks. And then speaking of tags and Instagram, follow us. Oh, there's that segue. Hey! (laughs) I got it. Um, You can follow us on Two Girls, One Plant Podcast on all things Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, You can join us on our Patreon. Super lit over there. Uh, We're on TikTok and you can follow us on our individual accounts, just Pups and Plants and then Amusing Plants. I haven't posted recently. I was thinking about that. I was like, I want to post. I'm a stories person. Yeah, you do go into your stories and like have conversation. I am a stories person. I'm not a poster. So I do want to say I want a bunch of rats. And I was like, what am I going to change my account name to when I get rats? I'm going to be just rats and plants. That doesn't have the same. I like pups and plants. Pups and plants is so good. Do I always have to have a puppy then even when I have rats? Pups and plants and rats. Pups and plants and rats. That's kind of cute. Okay. Yeah. Are you going to get a rat? I really want a rat, dude. So oh, bad. Boy. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Well, thank you all for listening. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for, you know, again, this is two girls and then one plant. Mm-hmm. So we're always putting our ideas of feminism and you know, women's rights and women empowerment always first before everything else. So yes, you may be critical that this is a plant podcast, but again, it is two girls and girls is what always comes first before the plant. Yeah. Y'all knew what you signed up for. Exactly. And we really do appreciate having this space to have these conversations. So thank you all for listening week after week. And I'll try and link some really good resources too. Mm -hmm. If you want to learn more about like in logs and pick me's and tropes and all those are, you know, waves of feminism. So I'll try and find some really good videos and we can put that in the show notes too. So yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.